found Hebrews chapter 11. I invite you to stand with me. Read the first six verses here as we look at this hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered uh, unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was uh, righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it the uh, uh, he being dead yet speaketh. Verse number 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let us pray. Father, we ask for your, your presence tonight. I pray that you give me the right words to say. Give me strength, Lord. It's been a great day. Uh, but Lord, often uh, doing your work is is uh, is tiring, and uh, Lord, I pray that uh, for all of us, not just myself, but all of us, if we've been as we've been laboring and as we've been studying and uh, participating in children's ministries and teaching classes and all different kinds of things here, Lord, that we've been busy doing uh, for your glory and for your honor, Lord, they uh, take a toll on us. I pray that uh, this evening we'll be able to stay focused. And uh, Lord, have uh, exactly what you have for us uh, to get from your word this evening. Again, anoint this service. We ask your name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. When I look at the life of Enoch, I try to just picture what it's like to be in his shoes and to be some of the characters around this wonderful testimony of Enoch and how he pleased God. And in my mind's eye, I try to imagine this life. I imagine that Enoch perhaps rose up early out of his bed and as he was, uh, as he had done hundreds of times before, day in and day out, his wife perhaps even leaned over and kissed him and told him good morning before he leaves the room and he entered his covet, his, his coveted prayer closet. Perhaps the family, their day begins. His wife goes into the kitchen and makes a nice hot breakfast and begins brewing the coffee. Perhaps on that morning, the kids began to get ready for school and eventually each member of the family would take their place around the breakfast table. All but Enoch. Enoch's wife, perhaps as she was sitting there at the table, would chide her kids who were trying to attempt to take just a, a few little pieces of food off, off their plate, uh, waiting for their father's attendance. She had, perhaps even reminds the kids that uh, we're not going to eat until your father is ready. And they're waiting and waiting patiently. Maybe the food begins to get cold and Enoch's wife uh, calls for him from the table, Honey, is everything okay? With no reply, she just assumes Enoch is receiving an important message from God. She makes the exception and allows the kids to eat and head off to school. Perhaps hours after, hour after hour passes and she still hasn't heard from her beloved husband. Sheepish to barge in and interrupt her husband. Her husband's intimate time with the Lord, she 
continues on with her daily routine. By lunch, she, she gets concerned. Perhaps her mind, in her mind, she knows that, uh, 365 years old was just too young for anybody to pass from this earth, but the silence, uh, from this precious closet is abnormal. Her mind begins to wonder what has happened to my husband. Finally, she gets the courage and maybe she opens the door and to her surprise, it's empty. This prayer closet that she thought he was in. Surely he must be in here, maybe she thinks. She turns away from the closet and begins frantically looking around the room. Maybe he went out the window. But she checks the windows. They've been locked from the inside. What a puzzling predicament. Maybe she calls her children home and contacts the neighbors and sends out a search party and, and perhaps maybe even goes to Adam himself and says, have you seen my husband? Everyone in the area says no. She knows that it's unlike him to go off and, uh, without communicating to her. She knows that there is but one that he loves more than her and it's God. His devotion to God has grown stronger and stronger over the last several months. She begins to pray and ask the Lord to reveal where her husband has gone. After searching all day, she stops and rests. In a moment, the Lord settles a peaceful thought in her heart. The only possible conclusion at this point is that my husband was taken to be with his Lord. I don't know if that's exactly how that day went when Enoch was translated. Maybe he woke up and went for a walk and physically was walking alongside the presence of the Lord. And at one point, God just picked him up and took him from this earth. We do know this, that uh, there, there was at one point, uh, they, they, there was searching, I believe, because it, it says in Scripture that he was found not. We don't know if this is what was culminated after Enoch was taken or translated by God. We do know that he went missing, and the Bible says, as I just mentioned, that he was not, for God took him in Genesis chapter 5, verse number 24. Perhaps there was a search party that day, or perhaps uh, no one was surprised because Enoch's testimony exemplified a passionate pursuit of pleasing God. Enoch's life and testimony is enshrined in the hall of faith that we just wrote, uh, read about in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Only a handful of verses record the details of Enoch's life, but perhaps one of the most convincing, or convicting rather, is, uh, is a verse that's coupled uh, along with uh, his testimony, and that is what we find in verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Many marvel at the act of God taking Enoch. I remember one of the first times I read this verse as a young person and came across the fact that there was somebody who escaped death. He just, poof, disappeared from this life. I marveled at that act of, of God. But in reality, the Bible emphasizes not the fact that he was translated per se. It puts more emphasis in the fact that he was a man of faith. The Bible emphasizes the faith uh, faith can do something that nothing else can do. There is no substitute for faith. And there is no other way in which you and I can please God the Father. Only by having faith. 
I believe everyone in here tonight wants to have a testimony like Enoch, uh, that your life is pleasing to God. And we've heard time and time again, message after message after message, about how we need to have faith and how we can grow our faith. While we hear these verses, few of us wish to take the practical steps necessary to make that desire a reality. Or we lack the endurance to remain faithful to this dear cause. Not too long ago, I, I was um, having some issues with my foot. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I was just felt this sharp pain on the inside of, of my toe one day and, and uh, thought that it was just my nail, maybe uh, getting an ingrown toenail a little bit. And, and, uh, and so I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to go to a doctor. I didn't want to go to an urgent care or anything like that. Uh, I haven't been to a, a doctor in, in quite some time. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do some uh, at-home uh, surgery. And so uh, I began to, to just uh, uh, trim away and, and try to uh, ease the pain on my foot, soak it uh, in some hot water and some Epsom salts and, and things like that. And, and I, I let that take place just for a few days, and I still wasn't feeling any relief from my foot. And so I finally said, you know what, I'm going to overcome my pride, I'm going to overcome uh, uh, just uh, my uh, uh, not wanting to go to an urgent care, you know, I'm going to go. So I, I uh, finished work one day, and I went home and drove past an urgent care and just pulled in, began to reveal, uh, just having this constant pain in my foot. And uh, the doctor looked at it and gave me some, uh, some medication, gave me a little bit of ointment to put on my foot, and uh, gave me pretty strong medication. Uh, at, uh, and I, I said, you know, take it for, for five days, and uh, surely your foot will begin to heal up. So I was given the prescription, and I was told that if I follow this prescription, this is going to help me. So sure enough... Uh, the next day, I woke up and took the medication that was uh, necessary and applied the uh, ointment to my foot and waited and, and still had some pain. I began uh, on the second day to feel the pain decrease a little bit. And so, uh, again, staying uh, on the prescription, I, I took another pill. And, and then the third day, I took another pill. And you know what? I began to feel just something a little off. You ever have a day where you just kind of wake up and your body just feels a little off, right? And I, I thought long and hard, and I thought to myself, you know, maybe some of the reason I'm, I'm feeling this way, just a little off, is because of this new prescription. And I said, you know what? I don't want to do this. I don't want to stay on this prescription. I don't like what it's doing to me. I don't, I don't, I don't like how I feel with it. And so I stopped. And you know what? I stand before you today. I still have foot pain. You know, the issue really wasn't the prescription. The issue was me staying on the prescription. A lot of us, we come in here on Sundays and on Wednesdays, and pastor gives us a prescription, and we say, that's good. I need that. That's going to help me. That's perfect. But then we go Monday and we say, I don't like how that makes me feel. I don't like what that does to my flesh. I don't like the consequences that come about by me following the prescription that's given behind this pulpit. And sure enough, we've heard many of messages about how to uh, grow our faith and the importance of faith. But let's be honest. 
Christian, all of us tonight, we have moments where we don't exercise our faith. When trials and difficulties come into our life and and we don't, uh, our knee-jerk reaction isn't, uh, let me turn to the Lord and let me seek His face. We turn against God and we say, God, why? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. I thought you thought uh, what was best for me. Problems in life are not because of a lack of uh, prescription, but a lack of application. Tonight as we look at the life of Enoch, I want us to see three important elements of his faith. And I hope these be encouragement to us. Just a few uh, points that uh, I've jotted down just going through um, just the, the three major bodies of Scripture that talk through uh, the life of Enoch. And the first point I want to, uh, to see tonight is faith in his pursuits. Faith in his pursuits. And we're looking at, at uh, faith that does the impossible. Faith that does the impossible. Faith in his pursuits. And uh, as I look at this, and you go back to the book of Genesis, you find that the norm of that day is different than the norm of our day. There's a couple things that were very different. When you look at the life of uh, Adam, and you look at uh, how long he lived, it was uh, 900-some years. That's a long life. Could you imagine living 900 years? Wow. All that you could accomplish uh, I, I just want to know what they looked like by the time they hit 900, right? I mean, you know, you get up to, you see some folks that live up to 100, right? And you look at them and you're like, wow, okay, that's, they look, they look 100. Uh, and, uh, but what did somebody 900 years look like? Wow. Uh, were they still able to, to do things? Were they still able to uh, function properly? And, and uh, it's just hard for our minds to fathom uh, that before, uh, you know, uh, really uh, in the very beginning that, that people were able to live that long. And you go through the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, you begin to see that there is uh, person after person after person that uh, that lives so long. In fact, let's go back there to Genesis chapter 5 and let's take a look at this to help us see what, what Enoch was living through. We find that he's the seventh from Adam, the seventh generation. In today's day and age, we're lucky if, if somebody's able to see Three generations later, Adam, we find that he was able to see the seventh and even the eighth uh, generation. And uh, this is the generation of Adam. And the day that God, that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them and called their name Adam. And the day when they were created, and Adam lived uh, in hundred and thirty years and begat a son, uh, in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. We find here that if you keep going through uh, the descendants, uh, you'll, you'll see uh, person after person after person uh, after person. And we'll dive here a little bit more in just a second, but you'll find that every person at the end of their life, it says, and he died. And he died. And he died. There's a pattern. And in Enoch's time, in his time, he had a long time. He had 365 years that he lived uh, on this uh, earth. But that pales in comparison to Adam's 900 years or so until uh, he would die. 
You know, you can, you can spend time with someone and not love them, but you cannot love someone without spending time with them. And I believe as you look at the life of Enoch, he loved God. He had a testimony that he pleased God. In his rather short life, in compared to these other figures uh, of his generation, we understand that, that Enoch must have spent a good deal of his time with the Lord. I'm sure that people of their day enjoyed the long life that they had. While people enjoyed the longevity of life, Enoch was enjoying the fellowship he had with God. You know, I'm pretty sure... We get to heaven, we talk to Enoch. I don't think Enoch's going to be very upset that his life was cut short. You know, but I think a lot of us today, we value our life here more than we value our fellowship with God. A lot of us search online and how we can stay physically fit. And don't get me wrong, bodily exercise profiteth little. It profits something. Okay, God puts that in His Word. It's something that we should steward. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so it is something we should uh, put some effort into. But listen, uh, we need to put more emphasis into making sure that our fellowship with God is the way that it should be. A lot of us spend a lot of time over at the gym making sure our body's in tune and that we uh, have the right vitamins and we make sure that uh, you know we're, we're, we're staying about as healthy as we possibly can. But how often do we go to the spiritual gym? How often do we take the, uh, the vitamins that we need spiritually to enrich us and allow us to, uh, to stay healthy and in good fellowship with God? We see even a pattern in modern day pursuits today. People seek longevity and the pleasures and comforts of this life over the presence and the pleasure of being with God. What's more important, church? I think if Enoch were here standing before us, he would say, the greatest thing I did on this life was that I lived for the Lord. My greatest time in my life is that, that time when I prayed and I saw His face. I think back of the many uh, times in my, my life where uh, I had opportunities to go see some beautiful sights in, in, in the world. And uh, one of my greatest moments, uh, my uh, honeymoon with my wife went down to the Cayman Islands. It's just a beautiful uh, place to be and to vacation. And uh, I've gone to the Grand Canyon and see the beauty as the sun rises over the Grand Canyon and it almost changes colors uh, with every minute that the sun uh, comes up over the horizon. I've uh, seen some beauty over in Maine at Acadia National Park. I've uh, seen the wonders uh, of, of, of uh, California and, and the beautiful stretches of uh, beaches and, and so forth here. But, but listen, I've had had uh, incredible moments where uh, it was just me and the presence of God. Amen. And sitting there and reading His Word and reflecting on how good God is to me. Amen. I never shed a tear when I saw the Grand Canyon. I never shed a tear when I uh, saw the beauty of the Cayman Islands. But I've had many a times where I've cried myself like a baby. Reflecting on how good God is to me. There is no substitute for the presence of God. 
And I believe when we look at the pursuit that Enoch had, it was a pursuit towards God. He spent a lot of time with Him. But Enoch pursued a testimony that was pleasing to God. Not only his time and his effort uh, going towards the things of God, but his testimony. You know, somebody once said, it takes a lifetime to build a testimony. It takes a second to destroy it. Sometimes it doesn't matter how good a person is. When they make one mistake, very pivotal mistake, we look at those folks and we say, that really wasn't a good individual. Find time and time again, testimonies are tarnished in just a few moments uh, uh, when the flesh is uh, weak. We find here that he had a testimony in his generation. While there was wickedness, while people were no longer pursuing God in the ways that they uh, should have, uh, Enoch was consistent. Even the ungodly culture said, surely this man pleases God. Surely this man is what God smiles at. And I'll tell you this, don't let the world dupe you. Our conscience, our heart is written with the, the, the law of the Lord on it. We are built to know what God's morality is in our life. There is such thing as uh, a moral fabric in humanity. And while we can, uh, uh, while people in their wickedness can, uh, can, uh, quench, uh, that and can suppress and, 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 uh, uh, sear their conscience, nonetheless, every person is built with a moral conscience, uh, a compass, so to speak, that guides them and helps them to see what truly is right. When you look around and you see the amount of effort that the LGBTQ movement is putting and promoting and doing their absolute best to put that in the forefronts of the minds of this generation. They're trying to reprogram their minds. They're trying to combat the morality that we are born with. The conscience that we are born with. You think of the effort... And the strength that the abortion movement is trying to push in this generation. They know what is right. But they are trying to go against God and His morality. They are trying to go against God and what is right. Even the ungodly knew that Enoch pleased God. He had a testimony. I find it interesting Uh, This testimony was of those that were around him in this crooked uh, generation. And so, his pursuit, everything about Enoch was about God. He put his time, his efforts behind his pursuits. We see that he put his testimony eventually, at the end of his life, carried on that he was a man that pleased God. I hope when I get to the end of my life, I will have done everything humanly possible so that every person around me can say, surely his life pleased God. I know there are many moments that uh, I I think God looks down and he uh, just kind of puts his his palm right on his forehead and says, Andrew, what are you doing? Right? Anybody with me? Come on. I'm not the only one this evening. All right? But I want, want by and large, my life as, as a whole to be one that reflects the glory of God. 
Anybody else with me tonight? We want to be pleasing to God. We want to have that very same uh, testimony. Not only was, uh, do we find the faith in His pursuit, we find the faith in His prayer. The faith in His prayer. Go back with me in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Say, where do you find His prayer? Well, it's coupled with His life. It's coupled with His testimony. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 5, By faith Enoch was translated, he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that pleased God. Verse number 6, this is coupled in with the life of Enoch. 5 and 6, you can't separate them. It is, uh, it's, it's talking about Enoch's life. Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God... I mentioned earlier, you can be with somebody without loving them, but you can't love them without being with them, spending time with them. And that's what Enoch did. Enoch was seeking God's face. Enoch was praying. Enoch uh, was uh, coming to God. And if we come to God, we must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Let's break down this phrase. He that cometh to God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You understand today, you're not just going to an earthly figure to try to get something. You're not going to a human figure on this earth and pleading your case in hopes that they will, uh, number one, be able to meet the need, and number two, be willing to meet the need. You understand? Resources are scarce. We have people that call the church all the time. And uh, I take these calls, and they say, hey, I'm in need. I need help. And they have a whole spiel that they go through. And they have, I mean, they're great salesmen. I mean, they make my conscience just, it burns inside of me. I want to help this person because uh, they got this whole speech in, in a line and everything like that. But you understand, if you're a member here at White Oak Baptist Church, you understand our resources are small. And you understand that we can't meet the needs, the physical needs of every person that comes knocking on our door. If we, uh, if we uh, uh, met all of them, we would have a, a line just going all the way uh, down uh, Main Street through Stratford. It would go all the way down 95. We'd have people waiting for days and days and days if we had all the resources. Not only is it the resources, is it are they willing to give up their resources to my need? God not only has the resources for anything that we ask, but He is also willing to give them to us when it first gives Him glory, and and secondly, uh, when it's good for us. You see, sometimes God doesn't give us the resources that we think we need because God knows ultimately what we need. I uh, Sometimes uh, in a previous ministry, I used to go around... Uh, during Sunday school classes and just check in uh, shortly after these Sunday school classes began. And, and uh, I, I, there were some teachers in the Sunday school that uh, just kind of wanted to be smart, you know, just wanted to kind of uh, say some things, kind of put you on the spot. And I would peek my head in and I would, I would always say this phrase and say, hey, you need anything. Hey, you need anything. Hey, you need anything. And uh, finally, this one uh, individual, his name was his Dale. 
uh, Dale Cowan. And uh, I remember uh, going into the class one day and I said, hey, Dale, you need anything uh, for class? And or I, I guess I said, do you need anything? And, and uh, he said, you know what? I need a million dollars. And I said, well, Dale, if you needed it, God would give it to you. And I walked away. He didn't know what to say. He just kind of laughed and, and didn't really, uh, he was expecting to put me in my place. And I think I gave him uh, a good one back. You know, if, if God really thought that we needed it, if God really thought that we could absolutely use it uh, for uh, our own good and for the good of, uh, of uh, the glory of God, he would give it to us. You know, we go to somebody today that has our best interest in mind. This is, this is not just a, a king. This is uh, not just uh, any person. This is God who is able to speak everything to existence. It's hard for our minds to fathom because in this generation, uh, right, we, we, we live in a day of technology and there's artificial intelligence and there's all different things. It seems like Apple's always coming out with a new gadget, new gizmo, and it just grabs our attention and we're uh, fascinated with it. We like this computer. We like uh, just this TV. And, and it just seems like there's a, we're in the day and age of just creation over and over and over again, right? Creating, 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 creating. But our minds cannot fathom that God created something out of nothing. You see, in order for Apple to create the iPhone, they needed something. They needed silicon. They needed uh, other elements to put that together. God is the only one, God will only be the, the, the only one that uh, has created something from nothing. God's powerful. God's incredible. God loves us. God exemplifies uh, all of the uh, major characteristics that we should have to be uh, good people. God is love. It's not just an adjective. It is who He is. He is love. God is just. God is holy. You understand what I'm saying tonight? We're not just saying that these are adjectives defining uh, God or, or just uh, pointing to God. No, He is holy. He is the essence of holy. He is the standard of all of these things. So, He that cometh to God. We would be foolish to have a rich person stand up here and, and essentially say, I'm going to give you a blank check and you can do whatever you want with it. For us to say, no, I'm good. I don't even want to talk to you. No, God says, I want you to come boldly before my throne. I want you to come before this King of kings and Lord of lords, that you may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The next, the next portion of that verse says, must believe that He is. And as I'm looking at this phrase, it seems like it just kind of cuts off. Believes that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It seems like there needs to be a word after He is. And can I tell you the word He is, the uh, Greek word is genomai, and that translates to come to pass, done, or be made. And what God is saying is no matter what your need is, no matter what your situation is, I am your sufficiency. I am what you need. I can get you what you need. I have all of the power necessary. You must believe that He is. What do you need? Well, we find in Scripture there's a number of names that uh, describe God. We think of El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, El, El Eloi, the Most High God, 
Adonai, Lord Master, Yahweh, Lord Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner, Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, Jehovah uh, uh, Shema, the Lord is there, Jehovah Sedeka, uh, 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 yes, uh, Sedinka, um, the Lord our righteousness, uh, Jehovah Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies you, uh, El Olam, uh, the uh, everlasting God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shaboth, the Lord of hosts. You understand today, God in all of these words here, in all of these names that is who He is, He tells you, I am sufficient. I am sufficient for your need. You have anxiety? Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. You have a physical ailment that is uh, uh, bothering you? Jehovah Rasha, Rapha, the Lord that heals. Are you scared about what's going to take place? Do you feel like there is uh, somebody that maybe is after you and attacking you? Well, Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. He's watching over you. He cares for you. Sometimes we read over these verses and we read over these names of God and we just say, I don't even know how to pronounce that. But what we really should do is pause and say, what is God saying right here? What is that name? Why did He choose that name for that passage of Scripture? Well, He chose to say that name because He chose... To show you that He is the sufficiency in the need. You must believe that He is God. And you must believe uh, that He is. He will meet your need. He will help you wherever you are at. That He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You know, Enoch was rewarded. As I mentioned earlier, when you go through Genesis chapter 5, you find, and he died. And he died. And he died. But Enoch sought the Lord. And he lived a life that was pleasing to the Lord. And God rewarded him. You know how he rewarded him? He should not see death. And listen, let me take another approach to this. This phrase, he should not see death. You know, you and I will never see death if we've accepted Jesus Christ to be our personal Lord and Savior. We will never even have to dip our toe in hell because of what Christ did. We will never have to see or know or feel what it's like to be apart from the presence of God for all of eternity. There are things in, in, in eternity that, that our minds can't even fathom right now. Right? God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. He allowed Enoch not to see death at all. While everybody was dropping behind him and, and bodies were, were left behind, uh, Enoch was not found. I think of James chapter 4. A lot of times, we have not because we ask not. We ask amiss that we may consume it upon our own lust. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Sometimes we come to God, and we may think that we are seeking Him, but in reality, we're seeking our own self-interest. 
I'm coming to God, sharing my needs so that I can benefit. So that I can get what I want. No, 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 my friend. Now you've forgotten the first part. You've forgotten that he, uh, he that cometh to God, he is God. He's the ruler of the universe. He is uh, 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 our sustainer. He is uh, uh, the, the greatest being that has ever and will ever uh, exist in eternity past and eternity present. Uh, we don't live this life for our own benefit. We live it for what does God want? Somebody's car just rolled down the... It sounds like this, the side of the hill there. I don't know what, what that was. Um, but uh, listen, we must come to God. We must pray. We must seek His face. We must claim these promises as we read about or sang about uh, this evening. God records in His Word these names so that we uh, can go to Him uh, with our need. He is our sufficiency. And finally, lastly here, not only do we see the faith in His pursuit, and the faith in his prayer, he was diligent, seek God's face. But lastly, we see faith in his preaching. Faith in his preaching. Go with me to Jude chapter 14. Chapter 14, I should say, uh, verse 14. There is no chapter 14. Unless you classify a whole verse as a chapter. And uh, this is one of the longest books. Uh, Jude chapter, or, I keep saying that. It is a weird thing not to say. Uh, Jude 14, Jude 14, and this was, I, I, I discovered this verse just a handful of years ago, and I'd heard about Enoch for a, a long time, but when I, when I discovered this, I was shocked. This is just another element of Enoch's life, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. He was a prophet, did you know that? These things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh when ten, ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. It's some pretty harsh words from Enoch. You know, the Bible tells us some very harsh things. The Bible tells us that we should tell people harsh things. You understand, when you knock on a door, and when you give the Gospel, looking somebody in the eye and saying, you're a sinner. Not a very kind thing, right? Not a very calming thing. But, what we do is we hold God's Word in our hands and we are able to proclaim it confidently because we have a written Word of God on our laps. Think contextually. Think historically. Enoch didn't have Genesis through Revelation. We don't really know that Enoch had any Scripture at all. Just perhaps what Adam had passed down uh, from being in the presence of God and in the garden, and he was still living. So no doubt uh, people were going to Adam and asking him advice and and uh, trying to seek his counsel and and his guidance and and maybe share a time or two that he talked with God and God gave him something. He didn't have the written word of God like we had, but yet Enoch was just as bold in his witness. 
Not having something written on His lap, as we should be having the full written Word of God. Do you understand today, in order for a prophet to have credibility, you've got to be accurate. And so, Enoch is coming forth and he's saying these harsh words about how Christ is going to return and He is going to bring judgment upon these wicked people that are around Him. Bold statement. Where's the proof, Enoch? But Enoch knew beyond the shadow of a doubt, this is what God has called me to do. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt because I have a relationship with God. I have pursued Him with my time. My testimony speaks volumes to this. I have prayed earnestly over and over and over again. And now I have no choice but to proclaim, Thus saith the Lord to me as a prophet, I am telling you that judgment will come upon you. Enoch had to make sure that he was close to the Lord. So we see the faith in his preaching. I want you tonight, just go with one verse, one verse, and we'll be done. To 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. As I mentioned earlier, that a lot of times the issue is not us getting a prescription for our problems. The issue is us applying the prescription to our problems. We need a faith today that's not just abstract, it's not just uh, a hope, but it is a work, it's a faith that works. It's a faith that's put to practice through a prayer life, through preaching and proclaiming the gospel to another generation, uh, through sitting down and reading God's Word and seeing who God is and how He desires to speak to you and you uh, speaking to Him. And as we read God's Word, He shows us commands, and we've been looking at them all year, the commands of Christ. Look at verse number 22. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments. And look at this phrase, and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Christian, tonight, as we head home, and as we... uh, maybe get a snack and maybe just kind of decompress from all that has taken place uh, on this Sunday and we prepare for Monday and our work week to come. My friend, we don't get, we don't get to please God by hoping to keep the commandments. The Bible says that we should do. We keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. All of us, we all hope to be pleasing to God. We've already established that. We hope to be somebody that has the epitaph on our uh, tombstone that says a man or woman that pleased God with their life. It's time for us to do. So practically, we please God through preaching. We please God through prayer. We please God through uh, pursuing God and studying Him out in His Word and spending time with Him. I encourage you this week, if you don't already, get some time alone with God. Don't just pray around your dining room table. Don't just uh, uh, pray a real quick prayer before you pillow your head at night. No. 
get alone in a quiet place. It's going to take dedication. It's going to take us pausing and, and maybe moving something out of our schedule, removing the busyness, and saying, I'm going to sit in this room here or in this closet or in this space or maybe even in my car, and I'm not going to go anywhere until I know that I've been in the presence of God. I'm not going to go anywhere until I know that I have pursued God for this moment and that I've prayed and come boldly like God tells me to come. And I hope that the fruit of that is that we will be bolder in our witness and that we will uh, desire to see more souls come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and that we'll take these commands, we'll take uh, Scripture that is in front of us and, uh, and desire to see uh, others uh, come to know this same knowledge. Well, let's stand to our feet and uh, we'll pray. And um, I don't know how the Lord's working on your heart tonight. Maybe it's just to grow your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So maybe we need to grow our faith. Some of us, maybe we have a faith that's not a working faith. It's abstract. Maybe we need to put our hand to the plow and do some work. Do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Maybe there's somebody tonight, you know that your prayer life is not the way it should be. Maybe you know you're not preaching the way that you should be and proclaiming the message of the gospel. You've pursued your own life ambitions and your own uh, fleshly desires over pursuing God.